Hi guys, thanks for tuning in to the Not The Top 20 podcast with me, Ali Maxwell, and George Ellick alongside me. George, it's a, fair to say it's a fairly busy stage of the season. We've just seen the penultimate weekend go. We're going to be reviewing that and previewing the final weekend of the EFL season. But first and foremost, how are you? Yeah, I'm fine, thanks, mate. Um, yeah, all good. I didn't see it as much football live as I wanted to over this weekend because of other plans, but I've definitely caught up since. I'm ready to chew it over with you. Yes, let's get chewy. Uh, it's, it's, it's really fairly straightforward. I'm afraid we're at the stage of the season where if your team's not involved in major activity at the top, uh, in the playoff places or down at the bottom... Um, unless something absolutely unbelievable happens. Uh, it's likely that we're not going to go too in-depth on, on these last few games. But, thankfully, there are plenty of teams involved still um, in all three divisions and their important scenarios. So we're going to start at the top of the championship and we're going to talk about two teams that we are waving goodbye to uh, in Norwich and Sheffield United. It, very much as expected this weekend, George, it was no surprise that Norwich, Sheffield United, leave us to get promoted um, they did so with a win against Blackburn in Norwich's case uh, and a, a fairly straightforward home win for Sheffield United at home to Ipswich, uh, Hogan and O'Connell with the goals there. Um, we need to just give them a little, well, eulogy sounds a bit morbid, doesn't it? But we won't be talking about them next season, that's for sure. Starting with Norwich, um, how, go on. Well, I was just going to say it's, it's two teams I'm quite sad to say goodbye to. Yeah. Um, they're, they're two teams who, who obviously deserve their chance at the top level, two very big clubs as well, so you can't really um, compare them to, to the likes of Huddersfield, but they're two teams that we've both enjoyed watching, especially over the last year. Um, frustratingly, obviously Norwich, I think, were my pick for promotion last season, so I just yeah. jumped the gun a little bit there. Um, and with Sheffield United, you know, we were always positive about them, but, but it just felt like their ceiling was probably going to be, you know, if you said to Sheffield United fans at the beginning of the season, fourth or fifth place, they'd have been absolutely over the moon. Mm. And it's easy to lose sight of that and just how big a job it is that Chris Wilder's done. Um, and I guess I'm also a little bit upset that my time as being something of a Chris Wilder expert is, is probably for the, for the time <laughs> being going to be over. Unless I suddenly start getting <laughs> Premier League uh, gigs just to talk about about Wilder but uh, no, I mean, you've, got, you've just got to pay him huge respect uh, despite all the stuff that we've seen since the promotion of him um, you know doing his best Ali Maxwell impression a few Moretti's down <laughs> uh, he's uh, just what he's done at that club and the way that they play their football and um, it's just incredible to think that when he left Oxford all those years ago he had a bit of a reputation for being just a bit of an old fashioned manager who played football that the fans didn't really appreciate or want to see and um, despite, you know, incredible success at the club. So he's developed as, as, a, as a manager so, so much since then. Um, and to do what he's done at, at Northampton and then, and then Sheffield United, two promotions in, in three seasons, I think pound for pound, it doesn't get any better. I was sort of thinking about him earlier and I giggled to myself because in a few of the NTT20 meets that we've done, we've asked a manager, we, we, we quite often use the word philosophies, don't we? Because it... it it's, it's just a good word to use when you're asking someone to explain how they see their management style and how they like their teams to, to look, how they like their teams to act, how they like their teams to play. But because it's a bit of a wanky expression, philosophies, you do sometimes get a reaction from the person that you speak to, sort of saying, you know, actually when you're in day in, day out, when you're a football manager and you're involved inside the game, 
it doesn't feel like philosophies. It just feels like things that... It's just your work, right? And, they, and they, sometimes they sort of laugh at this expression. I was thinking about Wilder earlier because... Laugh at which expression? Philosophies. <laughs> okay. Not the other word. I couldn't think of a better word, and I apologise to my, any family members listening for... It, yeah, I think we're going to have to tick the explicit box when we, yeah. when we put it up. But anyway, carry on. And that's fine. It's there that more, stage of the season. There are more, think, more important things to say. Yeah, exactly. I love so. the idea of people getting excited when they download it, seeing that little red box, being like, whoa, what's happened there? <laughs> who is it? it was pro- who, who do you reckon would be favourite to swear on the podcast? Probably me. You're a yes, bit, you. You're very professional. Anyway, uh, what I like about Chris Wilder is that in terms of philosophies, like there's so much talk about the overlapping centre-backs, the 3-5-2, but that's not the system that he's always played. Certainly at Oxford, it didn't look anything like this. Certainly at Northampton, it didn't look anything like this and didn't look much like, like, like Oxford. Even in Sheffield United's League One champions campaign, it didn't look particularly like this. And, and I like the fact that, not necessarily year on year, but in different stages, Chris Wilder's teams have played in a different way and have looked very different. Um, and I think that speaks to, A, his adaptability, which you've touched on, but also the fact that when we talk about tactics, and we like to do that a lot, um, we, we, we maybe don't focus as much on things like man management and motivating and things like that. It's more difficult for us to see those from the outside. Well, with Chris Wilder, it's not difficult to see, is it? Not only have they had um, players fill in for injured players who are not household names, the likes of, of Craney, um, for example, and I don't mean to be rude to Craney, but I, I'm struggling. And Freeman, I suppose, the, the right wing back as well. Players like this um, who have filled in and just maintained such high levels, not complained about being out of the team. Um, everything he's done has been to galvanise this squad for this moment. Now, we must talk about Norwich as well, because they are most likely champions, of course. Not definitely, but the most likely champions. Does it feel a bit like given that neither of us support either of these teams, so our social media follows are, are balanced. It feels like the Sheffield United promotion is getting a bit more coverage than the Norwich promotion. Is that just because of how openly drunk they all were? <laughs> I think it's also because the Norwich promotion was, was all but sealed um, a fair bit of time ago, whereas 10 days ago it looked to all of us like it was going to be a lead to it going up. And I, think, I guess that's why, because it just feels like more, in a, more of an event um, but and, and I guess the Norwich stories had a lot of uh, press in the last three or four weeks when it became clear that they were the standout team in the league. So I, I guess that's kind of true. And and if, there's no reason to think that Sheffield United's achievement here is any better. I would say I think Norwich's turnaround of form is just as unlikely, despite probably what is what is more financial clout uh, and what is a bit more support from from. Not necessarily boardroom, but I'm getting at Weber again, someone who's got the track record of doing it. Mm. Um, but let's always got to remember where they've come from and the struggles they had both last season and early this season. So Five points from their first six games it was. It's but, 86 points from 39 games since then. But the crucial thing, again, though, is, is just to not really lose sight of, of, of what the other teams in the league have done, um, despite the fact that West Brom might finish above Leeds. It's just, it's just been a, a run of one point from three games that stopped Leeds from getting promoted. And... I think maybe around what happened on, on uh, which I know we'll talk about, what happened on Sunday, people are slightly losing sight of the fact that this Leeds team um, are still very much in the mix to go up and, and are still playing some fantastic football. Of course, and, we, and we've had some worthy challenges, Leeds, certainly. Um, but, you know, the rest of the top 12, even in this division, while all of them have maybe not reached the, the very top levels of consistency, 
but all on their day have, have been absolutely brilliant at times and therefore to come first or second is a, is a massive achievement from a Norwich point of view mention the fact that they started so slowly if you cast your mind back George when did when did you go from this Norwich team who we didn't think would do that well who started quite poorly which sort of confirmed what we thought would happen uh, I'm trying to work out myself at what stage we went oh Norwich are on quite a good run and then it that turned into Norwich are serious serious challenges because it, it you know this this didn't necessarily come until a few months into the season definitely not and despite that good run of form in, in kind of September um which was basically kicked off by that equaliser against Ipswich um, where they drew that game one all and then they went on to win their next four games in the league. Um, but they were winning games fairly scrappily, I would say, at the time. And then that developed into something a lot more impressive as you're getting into kind of November time. Um, they went to Swansea and won 4-1. The game, I think they scored four goals in three consecutive league games, mm. which I think was a, was a, was a fairly um, obvious sign that this was a team who were clicking into gear. Um, and then as the likes of, of you know, I think the, the emergence of, of Buendia certainly. I mean, when we were talking at the beginning of the season about these youngsters that were coming in, it was the, the three were Aaron's, Lewis and Cantwell. Pretty quickly, Cantwell dropped away from that um, and then was replaced by Godfrey. And then Buendia, I'm imagining, you know, those graphics we've seen on Twitter for the last few weeks where they're aligned and they're kind of sw- switching around the whole know, time. Yeah. I'm imagining one of those where Buendia kind of comes from the bottom and just like zooms up to the top and then Mars clear of everyone else. Do you want to tell quickly uh, your good Buendia story, which involves me looking quite bad? Yeah, I feel like a lot of people would have heard it, but I, I just told, I mean, we were on the Transfer Talk podcast um, for Sky Sports and I said that Buendia was a, was, was a was it just an Argentinian? No, a championship Messi. A championship Messi. Championship Messi. And you ribbed me and mocked me and then slowly changed your mind that actually it was quite a good comparison. Um, and you know, I think people next season are going to see just how, just how good he is. And yeah, I know Norwich fans are very confident that they'll be able to keep hold of all of these players we're discussing now. Um, I'm not necessarily sure. I think one of them, um, probably and possibly Aaron's, would be the one who, who might go just to just bank some of, some of it. Now we've seen how things can maybe go wrong. Um, I mean, look at how um, Ryan Sessignon's star has has waned since this time last year. So it's not a bad idea just to get some money in the bank and, uh, and look to go again. And judging by the, the way that they develop these players, there's probably another one waiting in the wings to, <laughs> to, to come in and, uh, and take his place. How likely do you think it is that either of these teams will do a Fulham? It doesn't I would seem say, I would say unlikely. I think that so long as, as Stuart Webber's at Norwich, um, I think he's the key and, and they're not going to recruit as poorly as, as, as Fulham did or, or be as rash as Fulham were. Um, and at the same time, I think that as long as Sheffield United have Chris Wilder at the club, um, it, it's very unlikely to see them. I mean, I'm not saying they're going to necessarily stay up, but I think it would be a Cardiffish relegation if it is where, you know, they, they give their all and, and that you can't really accuse them of, of leaving anything out there. Um, it's, I, it's I, I was asked today which of the two teams I think are more likely to stay up. And, and I think you have to say Norwich just... But I, I wouldn't have much between it and I wouldn't back either of them to go down. Because we've covered them so closely and we do like these teams a lot. Of course we do. They're the best teams in the top tier of the three leagues that, that we cover. I, I always feel myself almost defensive when people, you know, when 
guys who don't follow the EFL as closely say, you know, are these guys just going to be cannon fodder? Mm. Um, but you but you have to sort of temper that slightly. We were quite bullish about Fulham as well and, 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 and got burned. <laughs> so at this stage, I think it's worth noting that there's still three or four months until the, the Premier League season starts. And as much as it will be to do with what Sheffield United, uh, who actually have some board level issues to iron out, um, and, and Norwich, who certainly don't, who have a structure in place that, that looks like it'll work and hopefully they'll remain level-headed. But plenty of water to travel under the bridge until we start. And just a quick, I guess, a, a question that uh, Sheffield United fans won't want me to ask. But, I mean, Chris Wilder, before everything started going very right on the pitch, was very vocal about the need for more support with the, with the kind of boardroom um, structure, as you mentioned, not giving the support he would necessarily want. Is there, you know, getting Sheffield United to the Premier League is completely and utterly the, the, realistically the top that he'll be able to do. I mean, obviously he could do a Burnley and get them towards kind of seventh or something, but realistically this is going to be um, the crowning moment. So, and his star being so high now and people talking about him being the best in work English manager, um, I wonder if he would fancy a, ch- fancy a crack at, a, at maybe a, a more naturally bigger club if, you know, come six months into the season the issues are still there with, with him and the owners but that's bold that is bold he's a, he's a bladesman through and through he, I mean forget. absolutely I mean mm. he literally bleeds red <laughs> and metaphorically I, 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 I thought, thought you saying... were going to say here's, a, here's something that Sheffield United fans might not thank me how many goals do we think Billy Sharp might score in the Premier League yeah I'd say the line's probably about seven and a half for me oh but, really yeah I, that's higher than I thought it is would it? be yeah um, well he'll play but yeah I'm, I'm not I, I'm not saying I think Wilder will go but he's He's a guy who's probably quite ambitious. Who's at the moment, if if there was a job um, just outside that clutch of six that came up, he'd probably have a fair shout of getting it, and that would be quite something. You can't just be nice, can you, mate? You can't just be nice. Well, Wilder, sensational. Norwich might have a, a job keeping Daniel Farker if he continues on on this vein. And look, uh, the, the great thing about Farker is, he, he, yeah, I'm so pleased. I'm so proud of the lads. <laughs> Uh, what we have achieved is uh, fantastic and I'm so pleased and so proud of the lads. Um, and that's, that's the last one of those that we'll get. But <laughs> yeah, um, an extended period discussing the two top teams in the EFL as we wave goodbye to them. Um, some wonderful moments this season for Norwich and from Sheffield United. Uh, and we've uh, been, been very thankful for the support of a lot of their fans as well. So please, if you're listening, guys, make sure this isn't the last time. Um, but we do wave you off with, um, with hope in our hearts that it won't be uh, nine months till we are talking about you again like it has been uh, with Fulham. Right, George, let's get into some stuff that still matters. Uh, and that, in championship terms, is the playoff picture. Um, we don't really need to touch on baggies, I don't think, uh, because they are and have been the fourth place team really um, for a while there's potential that they could overtake Leeds uh, and get third on final day Um, they're three points behind them with a better goal difference Um, and they of course are playing against Derby on final day uh, and Leeds are away at Ipswich so unlikely but possible Um, very unlikely you'd say Ipswich uh, surely won't be beating Leeds anyway we won't talk about uh, West Brom in depth at this stage because we will be previewing their playoff campaign next week, of course. So let's talk about Leeds 1, Aston Villa 1. Uh, this was a game between an Aston Villa team who had won 10 in a row and a Leeds team who had been basically dropped out of the automatic promotion place. And, I mean, in the end, George, it was a fairly standard one-all draw, wasn't it? 
Yeah, I guess it was, and that both teams scored a goal. <laughs> and, and therefore they drew, one all. Um, my favourite part, I mean, it's been covered so much, so there's not, not much point getting into all of it. Hurahane acted quite badly, punching, click. Bamford behaved badly. Jack was fouled a lot and probably fell over a fair bit. Like, there's no one here is really winning the moral, the moral victory, except for probably... Marcelo Bielsa for It's being. not necessarily up to us to be the moral arbiters either, no, is it? No, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, the key fact is probably that, that Villa did, did similar for Leeds five minutes before. Um, but the one for me that I find incredible, and I feel like it's gone a little bit under the radar, was Janssen's just total disregard for what he was being told by Bielsa, his arguments with the players afterwards. It's not the first time I've thought he's actually behaved really badly, not in terms of football, but just with the, with the team. Um, he, I can't really work out what he tries to do to Adoma when Adoma's running through. Like, it's almost as if he tries to send him into Rose Z, but kind of misses him. I'm um, being really cynical. My theory is if he'd wanted to tackle Adoma, he could have tackled Adoma yeah. and he did it. And I think I've seen him do things like this many a time before and it's hugely cynical and I'm so sorry, but I think he does a lot of stuff um, to ingratiate himself with the Leeds fans, which is completely fair enough. I would definitely do the same thing if I was a player. Um, but for me, this was another example of that, being, wanting to, you know, he's basically, you know, he's, he's a massive extrovert. He's, he's essentially like the class clown, but in the sense that he plays for a football team, he's unbelievably competitive yeah. and he just gets so fired up. Um, mm. My theory is he definitely would have put in a better tackle than that if he'd actually wanted well, to Well, I agree. Him. I agree. I mean, I would have loved to have seen what would have happened. I mean, I would have loved to have seen what would happen if he just cleaned him out. Imagine if he got sent off. If he just... Yeah, that would have been... Brought him down, red card. Would they have let them score the free kick? Or would they have just played on 1-0 with 10 men? I mean, the whole thing's absurd, isn't it? Yeah, Especially yeah, it unbelievable. with El Ghazi potentially suspended... Surely for not. the semi-finals. I mean, that no way. It's not a red card offence. Just I mean more likely, shrugging someone. More likely Bamford suspended. I would say, and, and possibly Hurricane. I feel that Patrick Bamford comes out of this the worst, and that's partly because. And you mustn't just look at social media, but in terms of us canvassing Leeds United fan opinions, that is probably the best place to be. It feels like there's a large majority of them actually not defending him and, and almost hoping to sort of hold him up as a sacrifice. Yeah, well, um, I could, because he's rubbish as well. I think that Leeds fans, if it was up to them and, and he's fit, would have Ruth starting anyway over Bamford. He's not rubbish. Um, I mean, but speaking to Leeds fans who talk about Bamford, I mean, just unbelievably slow, not particularly strong, doesn't really do anything except for score goals. And that's not really what they need in this system where we see players kind of getting involved in, in loads of phases of play and pressing high up the pitch. Mm. Um, I... I think it's going to be, it's almost a bit of a shame for us neutrals that that needle um, that we saw after uh, Click scored we'll, we won't really quite be there as much as we thought if they are the two playoff finalists. But seems like they cleared it up a little bit by the end. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's still, I, I still feel like that's not going to be forgotten. I'll be eyeing up a, a Pontus Janssen red card if they get to Wembley playing against each other. A couple I think. of under, a couple of other underrated things. Um, Mila Yadonak going up front when he came on really for nice. a few minutes. Uh, to be fair, of course, from Villa's point of view, I think there was a bit of settling down needed at that stage. They'd lost El Ghazi. Uh, Kodger obviously went off injured as well. Uh, they brought on Yadonak, and it was almost as if they sort of 
they went, right, just, just take Codge's place for the minute and we can work it out next time the ball goes out. But Leeds was, were restarting the game so quickly every time, every time it went out that uh, the Jedi was up front for a good few minutes um, <laughs> before they rejigged. And also, shout out to Jed Steer, who by the end of the game, like, basically couldn't stand up um, and clearly wanted to go off. But as I said to my brother, who I was watching it with, when you've got 10 men, would you not rather have just a goalkeeper as a cardboard cutout and nine outfield players rather than an outfield player in goal and eight outfield players, I think you probably would. And then he made an amazing save. So that was very exciting. That would be a great playoff final, of course. Um, And as someone with no stake in the result, I'd like to put it on record that those were exactly the sort of scenes I, I liked to see. And I don't like it when people tell me that those are the scenes that I don't want to see because Fair enough. Um, no one speaks for me apart from myself. Um, and uh, where should we go next? So the last thing I wanted to say on this was, just aside from all the madness, um, Tyrone Mings and Axel Twanzebe, that is a sensational centre-back pairing. And of course, Janssen and Cooper have been amazing all season. Uh, we've spoken about Webster and Callas a bit. Um, you've got Sheffield United's trio, you've got uh, Godfrey and Zimmerman, second half of the season, but on current form, centre-back pairings, Mings and Twanzebe, that is right up my street. They, they looked absolutely fantastic. And if you look on paper, there was a moment where Harrison and Stuart Dallas were combining down Leeds' left. Now, I've made my thoughts on Harrison fairly clear, and he's not doing much to, to convince me otherwise, but uh, Stuart Dallas, uh, a great pro and very versatile, but... It was very clear that those two, of course, they're only in the side due to injuries. But when you looked at Villa starting 11 and Leeds starting 11, it was yet more evidence that, you know, Bielsa's done a great job just getting them, just getting them within, within touching distance, to be quite honest with you. Yeah. And, and it's interesting that we've spoken before about how the, the successful teams this season seem to be ones who are playing a more expansive brand of football, who, who maybe are looking to attack more often than not. But when you look through the personnel, it's, it's the defenders, it's the centre-backs who are the ones who you basically cannot put a black mark against whatsoever. Now, all the ones you mentioned there, I mean, when you look at the team of the year um, with, with Cooper and Janssen getting the two centre-back spots, I think fans of pretty much every team in the top seven thought it was outrageous that their centre-backs weren't in there. So despite the, you know, it's definitely true that these clubs are playing a different style of football and definitely true that they are attacking more and maybe more attacking-minded. That comes from having good ball-playing centre-backs and also comes from those centre-backs having to do a lot of work to to ensure that not only are they playing high up the pitch, but they're not susceptible to the counter-attack as well. Down in the last playoff position is Derby who are in the driving seat. They got a win at Ashton Gate against Bristol City. A 2-0 win and a massive, massive win. Um, They now are level on points with Middlesbrough with a game in hand. Middlesbrough playing Rotherham on the weekend. Derby have got Swansea away uh, in midweek and then West Brom at home on final day in quite classic Derby fashion at the risk of drawing more ire from their fans. Um, (laughs) This was not a particularly dominant, straightforward 2-0 win. Uh, An an exceptional piece of play from Mason Mount, of course, um, to set up the first goal with the aid of a, a bit of a deflection, of course, on the finish. Uh, and then a red card from Semenyo of Bristol City at a time where it was unbelievably one-way traffic and it felt like Bristol City would score at any minute. And actually, for the 20 minutes after the red card as well, Bristol City put plenty of pressure on. And, and credit to Derby for, um, for for holding strong. Keller Roos made uh, a couple of saves, or many saves, a couple of good saves, a couple fairly straightforward. Um, there's still this thing with Derby, isn't there, where even though they're so much in the driving seat, 
because of what's happened over the last few seasons with them and because we're still not entirely convinced about them as a team where you sort of still think, could they manage to bottle this? I'm not going to say bottle. I don't like that word. Someone has to finish outside and, and I don't think losing away at Swansea counts as a bottle, does it? Well, it doesn't. I mean, Swansea are one of the best home teams in the league and a team who are in, who are in very decent form, um, or at least are playing very well, I should say. Uh, yeah, as you say, Bristol City dominated this one in terms of shots, 23 to 8. Um, the red card didn't make a massive difference in terms of the way that the, the, the game was going. They hit the bar um, shortly afterwards through um, through Vyman. Um, it's it's disappointing this for Bristol City, you must say. This was a massive, massive chance for them. And um, and they played well but couldn't get the result. Um, I'm a bit gutted because I'm going to the Den tomorrow night mm. to see what I thought was going to be an absolute humdinger at both ends of the table. But... Um, Millwall are safe and whilst Bristol City will be desperate to win this to keep their hopes alive so yeah, I'm still not convinced by Derby at all but individual quality they've got it in, a, in, in absolute bucket loads um, whether it's Wilson, Mount or Lawrence and, uh, and for that reason they, they've got to be a tough test for anyone um, in the playoffs if they get there Yeah, Middlesbrough will certainly be expecting to beat Rotherham so in that, if they do they'll be on 73 points Derby would just need three points or more of course in those two remaining games to get over the line and we do expect them to do that that game sort of kind of kind of confirmed what I thought beforehand that there's really not that much between the teams in terms of Bristol City and Derby County and certainly um, you know a it came down to a little bit of luck on the day but also just being a little bit more resolute at the back maybe when when they needed to be and a little bit more clinical as well and, and those are certainly things for Bristol City to work on they um, drop out really of the of the of any sort of playoff battle. It'd be almost impossible for them to get there unless they win about eight nil at Millwall uh, tomorrow and win on final day with Derby losing and Middlesbrough not winning. But some positivity, I think, heading into next season, even if it's been a frustrating few weeks for them. Um, we're talking about the playoffs. Let me tell you guys about the potential to come and watch some playoff football with us. Um, we're going to spend some time on the 11th of May, which is a Saturday. There's three playoff games that day. Um, we're going to not watch the early game together, but we're going to book an area in central London um, to watch the game that's at, I think, 5.15 or 5.30, and then the game that's at 7.30. Um, it's a championship game and a League One game. We're really looking forward to meeting um, plenty of you there. Lots of people already signed up. We just ask that you DM us and just let us know if you, if you are interested. We'll send further details um, early this week but we hope to see some of you there as possible the first sort of thing like that that we've done and, and um, yeah we'd like to do a couple more next season certainly so just uh, testing the water somewhat come and join us have a few beers watch some playoff football and talk EFL it's as simple as that not much to chat about at the bottom of the championship George because your beloved Rotherham <laughs> relegated and I'm sure you don't want to dwell on it too much because Paul Warren could barely keep the tears away as he discussed it, and I'm a bit worried that we're going to get waterworks from you as no, well. No, not at all. Um, looking forward to looking forward to seeing them back in in League One. I mean, it's going to be hard for them to to get themselves, you know, back um, into a positive mindset to, to try and get back into the Championship again. I think everyone can agree they gave this a huge, huge effort, and and even went down fighting. Um, at the Hawthorns and again no one expects them to do much and just losing 2-1 there as well so another lead given away that was really a feature of the last few months yeah they never quite came competitive away from home which no. held them back in well half of their games this season I, it's, really. it's going to be interesting to see how they 
in what they're doing this summer, really. Um, you'd have to think that the Volts and Ajay are, are probably the two people who are going to be the most in demand. Um, but I also have a feeling that these players will quite enjoy playing under under Paul Warren and, mm. and, and, and there won't be many queuing at the door demanding to leave. Um, and, and, you know, he's a manager who, who, who I'm just going to definitely follow off a cliff really um, <laughs> I, I struggle to see a way that, that when he, whilst he's at the helm at Rotherham next season they're not going to be at least very competitive so. it says so much doesn't it that this is a team suffering relegation and there's absolutely no question of, that the manager will leave yeah, that the yeah. manager will be sacked well that. I mean so long as he wants to stay after initially being quite a reluctant um, manager but. and it was only a few weeks ago they hired a new head of recruitment Rob Scott uh, who used to be joint manager with Paul Hurst at, um, at Grimsby and Ilkston before that. So uh, that will be interesting. He knows the club well. He'll know Paul Warren well. And they've, well, they've got a decent amount of time now to start culling and start remoulding, reshaping that squad um, for a League One campaign. Let's not forget that they went down from the Championship as one of its worst ever teams yeah. and went straight back up again last season, timed their run really well um, after a, a fairly tricky start. And they're going to be in good shape. There's no reason, I don't think, why they shouldn't be um, up there again in League One next season. Kudos in the end, uh, George, to to Millwall, to Wigan, uh, and really to Reading, I think, who uh, certainly, more so than the other two, uh, it wasn't just a threat of relegation at one point. It looked like uh, a probability, more so than a possibility. Um, and we don't need to go in-depth at this stage on the job that José Gomes has done because we have spoken um, fairly in-depth about him and... I mean, I'm all in on Gomsch, and I don't know if you are yet. We've got a lot of Reading fans following us on Twitter. They're wondering whether George is, is bought into it. They're wondering whether George is on the bandwagon. Well, I'm on the Reading bandwagon, uh, and I'm very excited to see what happens over the summer. The only problem there is the amount of their key players in the second half of the season that have been loanees, basically five or six of them. Um, they will all go back to their parent clubs. How many will join permanently? We're not quite sure. It's not clear how much money Reading will have to spend because they have in the last few years uh, wasted a fair amount, I think it's fair to say. So a big job for Josie Gomsch, but um, one that I'm excited to see him do. And in Millwall and Reading, uh, sorry, Millwall and Wigan, it kind of feels like Wigan need to build the next version of their team this summer to some extent. Um, and, and Millwall definitely as well kind of lent on last season's squad to, to do the same that they did last season. Massively underdid expectations in that sense. And for both of these guys, I think we, well, I certainly want to see a little bit more in the transfer market from them. Yeah, it feels a long time ago that, that Harris took them to the brink of the playoffs um, a year ago because... I, I, I just don't think there's enough quality in the current squad to, to do that again. Um, when, when we're in the conversations we're having now about these teams who we expect to go to go forward into the playoffs, they are miles behind. So I, I don't know what the answer is. I, do, I don't know if um, maybe that sets a bar they cannot live up to and, and every season it's going to be a case of just trying to um, make sure that they're as far away from the relegation zone as possible. But um, I, yeah, I, I'm not convinced about... The, the qualities of the Millwall squad or the manager and, and that's that's now that's not to say the next season they can't do a lot more but it, it feels like um, this is a squad that, that got them there and, and took them up from League One um, but I wouldn't say it's necessarily been recycled too well to improve um, the the protagonists have remained pretty much the same and, and I think now is the time maybe for, for just some um, rejuvenation mm. 
Got to be careful what you say the, the day before you go to the den to watch <laughs> Millwall play. Um, but uh, anyway, let's talk about League One because the top of League One is, is exceptionally exciting, George. You've got Luton, who lost away at Burton. They're on 91 points and plus 46 goal difference. Barnsley, who won their fourth game in a row. That was at home to Blackpool from behind. Um, they are also on 91 points, plus 42. And then Portsmouth. They are now the big lurkers, aren't they? A one-all draw with Sunderland on the weekend, and it's Portsmouth four points behind the top two, but with a game against Peterborough on Tuesday that will be massive for, for all of the clubs because if Portsmouth can get that win, it means that if they win their home game against Accrington on the weekend, any dropped points for Luton or Barnsley, anything other than a win, and Pompey would nick their spot. It's a tantalising situation we've got at the top. How squeaky are the Luton bums right now? And Pretty, how squeaky should they be? Well, judging from my tweet earlier pointing out the price of Oxford, fairly squeaky, because I got quite a few messages quite quickly afterwards saying, please, can you not say that? Um, so your theory is that Luton, who are something like 1.3 to beat Oxford, who are something like 7 or 8 to 1 to beat Luton. 9 to 1. 9 to 1 in places. You, you, you feel like that's just pure wrong as you sometimes say on the betting show yeah it's just incorrect i think um just uh, uh i just can't really work out why i mean the the rationale will be that this is the biggest game of, of luton's life um or recent existence pretty much and for oxford it's a dead rubber but it just doesn't work like that um oxford have been on an unbelievable run ever since um the season's basically been wrapped up uh, get picking up four red cards in the last five games, which suggests that maybe the um, competitive spirit hasn't gone. Uh, I think a lot of these guys are enjoying playing their football. They're enjoying playing for Carl Robinson. They're playing for their contracts as well. So the idea that Oxford are going to turn over, turn up and roll over, is definitely wrong. I mean, there are personnel issues um, today. Samir Carruthers, Jordan Graham, and um, Ahmed Kashi were, went back to their parent clubs. Although Kashi. Um, was suspended anyway. One of picking up two of those five red cards, uh, four red cards. Sorry, I should say. Um, so it's just it, it's there's just no and there's also a bit of a rivalry between these two dating back to the conference days, um, where Oxford will take a lot of fans and will expect us to put up a fight. Also, two of uh, two of English football's famous hard men in Mick Harford and Carl Robinson. That that's a. Uh... That's a joke. That's a joke. Yeah. Um, Luton, it's interesting. They've, they've been ahead in their last five league games uh, and they've only won one, drawn two and lost two. So clearly an issue holding on to Leeds. Uh, of course, I canvassed the opinion of our good friend Ollie Walker, who is a League One analyst and a sensational Luton fan, of course. And I think he, he pointed to a few things. So generally, they've coped quite well with the attacking players dropping out through injury or suspension. The likes of Hilton have been fairly well replaced at different times by Luar Luar, by Cornick, um, and, um, and even the, the, the most attacking midfield player, the number 10, at different times, that's been Moncur, that's been Lee. Um, he said that the difficulty has been in replacing one of the back eight, so that is the keeper, the back four, uh, and then what was McCormack at the base with Pelly Ruddock and Panzu and Shinny uh, on either side of the diamond. And, and I think, look... I haven't watched every minute of those five games. So it's not for me to say the players are lacking character or they're showing inexperience particularly, but I guess you have to assume that McCormack's presence, or rather his absence, has had an influence in terms of 
um, his leadership, his experience. Uh, Ollie mentioned him getting in the referee's ear, which is a great skill of his as well. And probably the fact that they've been throwing away these leads. You know, if you're scrabbling around for, for, for reasons, then uh, you've got to look at, at the absence of McCormack. It'd be interesting to see if he's back in for that game. And at the same time, Ollie does point out, and it's worth doubling down, that you know, in most of these games, they've not—you know—they haven't turned into a relegation candidate overnight. They've—they uh, absolutely dominated Wimbledon, only to concede late. They could well have been home and hose by now. So it's just a bit of squeaky bum time. I think that they will beat Oxford. Um, I guess, given that, you must be feeling relatively confident that Barnsley will beat Bristol Rovers. Are you feeling confident that Barnsley will beat Bristol Rovers? They won four in a row. Yeah, um, I think that Barnsley beating Bristol Rovers is more likely than, than, than Luton beating Oxford, I would say. Nice. Um, so we could be looking at Barnsley champions. We could be looking at Barnsley champions, yeah. Um, that's, that, that's only because, as I say, I mean, Oxford since the, be- the beginning of October um, have been a top seven team. So I just, I just can't compute why, um, why they're so short. And, and as I say, the, I, the idea of... Uh, it not mattering seems ridiculous given the current results. Um, Bristol Rovers are very, very recently safe. Much more likelihood that much more likely that they were going to be metaphorically on the beach. Um, I would argue, but Barnsley's form is so reliant on their home form that um, on being on their travels doesn't really help. It's going to be really interesting to see what happens um, if, if Portsmouth can can uh, close down that gap midweek. Do you think um, they can win both Portsmouth? Yeah, of course. Home yeah. to Port- home to Peterborough, home to Accrington. Exactly. You have- you can't. I think. I think if they win midweek, then then it's it's basically Luton or Barnsley's to to lose. I mean, well, it is anyway. But but as I, th- I think I think Portsmouth's game against against Posh is is the key one here. Where if they get to ninety points midweek, I think they're going to end up on ninety three. We're clearly getting a bit twisted here. I know I am constantly thinking of permutations and what's going to happen and trying to avoid making too many predictions, but also saying something that's half interesting uh, it's a it's a constant battle at the moment uh, let's talk about Sunderland one Portsmouth one uh, I watched this one and Portsmouth um, you have to say um, very happy to leave with a point very very happy to leave the stadium of light with a point Portsmouth had a spell from about 20 minutes to about 40 minutes where they were the better side but generally it was Sunderland in the ascendancy um, you can pretty much copy and paste what I said about Sunderland last week I suppose when they drew one all with Peterborough, um, not taking their chances, uh, not killing off a game, uh, and a goal that was relatively soft as well. I mean, it was, it was a bit unlucky from a Sunderland point of view, but uh, essentially they didn't score enough, and, and McGillivray in goal for, for Portsmouth must take huge credit because he made some sensational saves. Um, and it, it was mentioned on the Quest show, but it, it is worth mentioning again that he was Dean Henderson's understudy at Shrewsbury last season. Uh, in League One, uh, and now he's Portsmouth's star man in a, in what was a very important game. So Portsmouth still alive. Sunderland heading for the playoffs. George, yeah, I We're, feel I feel like our, our our bias, given the betting shows coming out here, um, just where like you know, what's the bias? Well, Portsmouth had two disallowed goals as well, and I don't care about disallowed goals. I know, but I'm just saying, you know, the way you talk about the game was as I if, watched the game. Okay, I watched ninety minutes of the okay, game. Okay, live. okay, okay, yeah, yeah, fine. Um, what about Sunderland? Uh, what about Sunderland? We're, we're obviously we, we're going to preview the playoffs very much in depth next week, but um, you know n- you're not feeling massively surprised that they're that they're out of contention for automatic promotion um, at this stage. No, um, but but having said that, I, I still do think that they are 
um, currently playing at a level that, that's a bit better than they have been previously. Um, in that I'd give them more chance going into the playoffs now than I would have done four or five months ago. Um, it's it's difficult because now at the current stage of the season where they are fans seem to have have lost a bit of faith in Jack Ross at quite a bad time um, where you're seeing a few people on on social media blaming him um, for the for the run of draws and, and the inability to turn, turn draws into, into victories because of perceived negativity um, I, as I said I just think that's the case is that, that Sunderland constantly this season have struggled to be that much better than opposition. You've seen Portsmouth, Luton and Barnsley just blow teams away. Sunderland have, have just consistently not done that. Um, and when they have done, I think Accrington away was, was the most recent. It's been a, a surprise and it's been a bit of a shock to see. So can you, yeah, to what extent can you criticise a manager for not building the winning spirit, uh, spirit, the winning mentality that we talk about in the likes of Wilder up in up in the Championship and, and obviously Luton, Barnsley and... and Portsmouth as well. It's just, it's, it's just marginal. I mean, he was the one who was getting the credit when when they were winning goals. Game is by a solitary goal, and if you, it's, it's going to change. You cannot. It's, it's not sustainable to keep winning games by such a tiny level. So if you are, if games are going on on a knife edge in terms of chances created, then inevitably draws are going to come alongside it. And you know he probably deserves level credit for a lot of those draws not being wins. Sorry, not being losses, especially at the beginning of this season. Now they're relinquishing um, winning positions. Um, I'm not. I, I'm not ruling them out at all from uh, winning the playoffs. I think that they've got the quality to do so, and the the experience of Wembley is probably going to help as well. Um, but having a look through the betting today, I mean, I think Charlton are a team who are performing at a, a, a at least a, a, a similar level um, to Sunderland, and, and yet are a bigger price. And I think Charlton go into it with a huge, huge chance of of upsetting Sunderland in the uh, in the in the semi-finals. Yeah, Sunderland could get above Portsmouth. Um, yeah. By the end of the season, uh, it's it's going to be tricky for them uh, away to Fleetwood. They've got Southend on final day, also away. Portsmouth have got the two home games you mentioned, but it's not locked in that it'll be Sunderland Charlton. But that is looking very likely at the moment. That'd be an, a really really tasty game if that is the case. Doncaster are now thirty three to one on uh, to make the playoffs, and that kind of tells you all that you need to know. Peterborough threw in a terrible performance at Walsall. Uh, at, a, at a very important time on the weekend in a game where a win would have put them one point behind Doncaster with a game in hand as well. Um, they've really given Doncaster a pretty easy run at it. So Peterborough will need to win both of their games uh, away at, at Portsmouth is the first one, of course. That'll be tough, uh, very, very tough. So it looks like Donny nailed on for sixth spot. Uh, we won't know who they'll be playing just yet, of course, with plenty to deal with at the top end. Uh, in the relegation battle, George, which we've been talking about plenty, it was a big weekend, of course. Accrington, Bristol Rovers, Rochdale, Shrewsbury, Wickham. Not mathematically, but Wickham would have to lose about 10-0. Congratulations to them. We'll be talking about them next season in, in League One terms. And it's another season, George, where no team promoted from League Two last season has been relegated from League One this season. Yeah, there you go. So good news for those um, coming up. And it's interesting, you look now at the teams just above the relegation zone and it's hard to see many of them doing much better next season. But uh, but slowly and surely uh, we're getting to, to the end of the season and we're seeing that now it is just two teams outside the relegation zone that could still go down. They are currently at AFC Wimbledon and Southend, two, two teams who have changed their manager very very recently and then Plymouth in 21st with Derek Adams obviously making way with just one game left to go in the season after that shocking result at Accrington um, great to see I mean I think 
FC Wimbledon getting themselves out of the mess at the moment. It would be absolutely heartbreaking for everyone involved if, if having got themselves into the position they are now uh, in 19th, two points clear of Plymouth, if they were to somehow get relegated after the run of form they've had, it would be absolutely heartbreaking. Um, I, I think they should be okay. So it's just whether or not um, Plymouth or, or Walsall or Scunthorpe are impossible. Right, so... Wimbledon getting out of the relegation zone for the first time since October is just wonderful timing. If you look at the points that they've taken compared to the teams around them, yeah. um, it's no surprise. And, and you know it's one of those ones where, thank God they started the run when they did because they might have run out of games. But we expect them now to stay up. They've got Bradford away on final day. Bradford quite enjoying sort of raining on people's parades. They went 3-0 up against Scunthorpe on the weekend in a game they did not need to win, but Scunthorpe kind of did. Uh, and ended up winning that one. Scunny not happy there. Plymouth also not happy. Um, losing 5-1 to Accrington. 5-0 down, of That's course. A and Derek Adams leaving the club with mm. one game to go. I've never seen the likes of it, George. What well, are your thoughts on that? I think it's just a massive investment into the new manager bounce. And just, <laughs> just gambling. I mean, I think, I think the feeling was that it had become so toxic. I mean, you, you see Plymouth fans' reactions and, and it's given how much he's done for the club, it was only very few that said, you know, thanks for everything, Derek. I think the general thinking was, why hasn't this happened a long time ago? I think when you got to Accrington, you get beat 5-1. That one coming as a consolation very late on. Um, it's probably hard to see yourselves getting up for what is just an extraordinarily big game against Gunthorpe. Mm. It's, it's probably going to be a winner-takes-all scenario there where whoever wins that game should probably stay up um, unless AFC Wimbledon and Southend um, both win their games, which seems unlikely yeah um, despite FC being at Bradford um, and Southend have a very tricky home game against Sunderland so that's the big game of the day um, hopefully we've seen it many times before even if not even for long term I'm not a big fan of the manager bounce but I do think that um, getting rid of a manager who's maybe lost the fans lost the players um, can have a positive impact straight away and that's that's clearly what Plymouth are hoping for certainly lost the local media as well mm. big, big battle with them and yeah, it's it's kind of. I mean, this is not the time um, um, to be pointing stuff like this out, really. But we've spoken about Derek Adams Plymouth a lot over the last few years because of the in very positive terms because of the success that they've had, both in getting out of League Two and that alarmingly good run of form last season, which saw them go from bottom of League One to almost making the playoffs. Um, and one of the things about him that's always stood out is he is a very prickly character. He is one of those guys that opposition fans and managers absolutely hate um, but that you love having him on your side because he winds everyone up and then it kind of just kept tilting and kept tilting and got to the point where actually we don't love having him on our side because he's winding us up as well and uh, yeah. just a, a, in that sense I think a lot of it came down to them not meshing that well in terms of his character and, and, and the way that the fans sort of well, the way that they continued their relationship within this season when things have been very difficult. I mean, he, he left out Ladapo and Lamires um, for the game against Accrington. <laughs> it was a bold call. It's a big call. Sometimes they pay off. It's easy to point it out in hindsight. But of course, they were 3-0 down at halftime, at which point he brought them both on um, at halftime. And I think that's it kind of smacked of, yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's pretty much it. He didn't talk after the game, nor did his staff. Uh, and that was that for Derek Adams. So Plymouth Scunthorpe on Saturday is massive. Uh, if Plymouth win, they'll stay up if Southend don't beat Sunderland or if Wimbledon lose to Bradford. 
Um, if Wimbledon draw, Plymouth will need to win by four goals. Scunthorpe, if they win, they'd stay up if Southend don't beat Sunderland and if Walsall don't beat Shrewsbury. And Walsall Shrewsbury is a big one as well. Shrews now safety confirmed for them with a point against Coventry on Sunday. Walsall with a massive win out of nowhere against Peterborough and a genuinely a, a, a good performance, a decent performance, I'd say. Finally took a few chances. They can stay up with a win, but they have to hope for Plymouth to drop points and for Southend and Wimbledon both to lose, so still a long way to go there. League Two, George, the weekend started off the pitch with Tramir Berry being postponed. That was one of the big games of the weekend. And I guess the question is, to what extent did that postponement kind of work for both teams? In the end, Mansfield and MK Dons both lost. Berry now know, going into that game, what they need to do, and, and Tranmere as well. There's, I'm, I'm not saying they did it on purpose, because the pitch looked very waterlogged, but kind of a happy outcome in a way. Berry needs just one point now. I think it's a happy outcome for everyone except for Mansfield and, and MK Dons, because for us as, as onlookers, it also means we've got another one of these clashes where winner takes all. If Tranmere can can get the win, they go into, into uh, final day, just one point off third and just two points behind Berry. Um, whereas, as you say, if Berry can just get a point... That's going to end uh, Tranmere's uh, automatic promotion hopes and send Berry up. Um, yeah, this will be, you know, when other people are talking about there being a big game tomorrow night that I'm missing at the Den, I assume they're talking about this rather than anything else that's well, going there's on. There's so there. many, aren't there? I mean, I'm working out how much money I'm going to spend on iFollow at this rate. Um, how, how, many, how many screens have you got? Not that many, to be well, honest. Not enough, anyway. Yeah. I want to watch Newport Oldham. I want to watch Tranmere Berry. I want to watch definitely... Portsmouth against Peterborough as well I want to watch all of it uh, and I can't so a good thing for both sides there buried just that one point needed um, because of course MK Dons and Mansfield play each other on the weekend now they both lost and they're both like kind of shuddering stuttering yeah. sputtering I'm just having a funny idea of your housemate coming back when you say let's go back and watch the footy expecting to watch Spurs Ajax and then you, you're putting on five different screens of EF had action I'm um, very invested in Newport County I'll so. have to learn uh, yeah it's 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 a massive game for both teams um, it, it's going to be very tough how do Mansfield approach this uh, fully in the knowledge that well, we need to see what happens with Tranmere first let's, before anything else but there's a chance that a draw will be enough for them away at MK Don. So do you shut up shop and do you do you try and restrict them to chances or knowing that a win is going to be, you know, absolutely enough and if you score goals then you're, then you're up as well. Is it too dangerous to sit deep and invite pressure onto you? It's, it's, a, it's an impossible call for... I don't know, George. Yeah, I don't, I don't know, know either. I mean, given MK Don's um, strength in terms of, of attacking strength before they actually have to shoot, um, it, I think it would be fairly dangerous to, to drop deep. And I don't think it's, it's necessarily the way that Mansfield play. They do have pace up top in that three, but um, it's going to be very, very dangerous indeed. We know that MK Dons have, have ability and strength going forward. It's going to be a fascinating game to watch. Hard, really, to nail down any, any major predictions here at this stage. Anyway, uh, two teams, as I mentioned, sort of stuttering uh, to the finish line. And that Tramia Berry game on Tuesday is going to be worth keeping an eye on. In terms of the playoff picture, George... You love this, don't you? I do love this. I absolutely love the playoff picture, partly because these are all teams that we've spoken about having been really inconsistent. And, you know, although one of them will get seventh, I've kind of thought to myself, well, they are all a tier below the other teams that will make the playoffs. And yet, at the crucial time, 
Every team from 7th to 12th won on the weekend. Big players stepped up when they needed to. Wins for Exeter, Colchester, Carlisle, Stevenage and Newport and Crew Alexandra as well, although they are out of it. And we're in a position where we've got four teams on 67 points trying to catch Exeter in 69. But there's that one team, isn't there, George? that have the game in hand on Tuesday night, Newport County. Fancy them to beat Oldham on Tuesday? Yeah, I think so. Um, I can't imagine Oldham are going to really be up for this trip on a Tuesday night to Wales when their season is, is very much over. So uh, I fancy them to do it. I think they're the most likely people, most likely people, most likely team uh, to come out of that pack and, and get ahead of Exeter. Um, Exeter's still in the driving seat, of course, and there are so many teams who could do it. But um, yeah, I think that come... Yeah, come Saturday, I think that it's going to be Newport in seventh place. I like how we start using different phrases at different stage of the season. Like Exeter being in the driving seat, I'm I'm wondering if they are because it's it's in Newport's hands. So we're talking about in hands, in driving seats, all the different phrasing we use, and it's kind of like someone needs to write uh, some sort of yeah. anthology uh, to to explain what all of these mean. I guess if it's in your own hands, then you're probably in the driving seat, but. <laughs> But at the same the time, steering I, think, wheel. Well, I, th- I think Exeter are the, are the most likely still to get seventh. Right. Despite the fact that it's out of their hands. Right. Okay. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. Mike <laughs> Flynn at the wheel uh, for Newport. And I've been backing them for a few weeks just because, as I keep banging on about, they're so good in cup competitions. And I think these games at this stage of the season are bloody cup finals. Uh, and Mike Flynn's Newport are so good at those. George, you've got to it's t- worth pointing out as well that I'm actually, according to the betting, I'm wrong. Newport are the favourites at the moment, just. Well, as we know, mate, the traders, they don't know where they're coming or going at this stage of the season, do they? <laughs> um, look, mate, in League Two, Yeovil have been relegated. They're now a non-league club, or they will be. Um, they've got one game left as a League Two club, and we've spoken about them a lot, uh, about the issues over the last four months. Um, but it's, it's very tricky for any team um, to come straight back up. How concerned are you for, for Yeovil dropping down into non-league? Very concerned. Um, I guess listeners of a certain age will remember Yeovil very recently being in the Championship and, and maybe if you haven't been to Hewish Park would think that this is a pretty big uh, fall. But, but realistically, they're probably um, naturally a, a non-league club. I'd say that's no disrespect for them, just the size of the club and the size of the town. Um, so it's going to be tough for them. And they've got a new owner in and we don't know much about his intentions and about the, the what he's going to do now they've dropped out of out of the league into non-league um, you don't know who's going to be in charge of them next season um, I, I, I'd be quite surprised if it was a case you know like for example we're going to see Leighton Orient back in League 2 next next season um, I don't think we can be particularly shocked by that I, I, they're, they're a club who we could expect after a bit of a, a time of rebuilding to bounce back up I'm not sure you can say the same about Yeovil um, so yeah I'm, I'm, I'm worried yeah I'm very concerned as well there's uh, insult being added to injury players seen on a night out in Taunton just hours after their relegation was confirmed which I think understandably has riled some fans who have seen this team drop from basically the well certainly the top half of the table early in the season they saw them beat Newport 6-0 for example when they started well uh, and what's followed from the start of November really has been absolutely disastrous just uh, just error after error um, from the board, from the manager who ended up losing his job, uh, arguably too late, uh, and from a lot of players. And it's you know it's hard to point the finger too much. It's a young squad, uh, it's a thin squad. They've had lots of injuries that they've had to cope with. But 
Um, they've thrown away leads like they did on the weekend. They were 2 0 up at half time at Northampton. And pretty much by the 60th minute, it was 2 2, and that kind of summed everything up. Um, in terms of who will join them, George, Macclesfield need a draw to stay up. That's because they've got two points more than Notts County. They've got a much better goal difference. Uh, for Notts to go up with Macclesfield drawing, that would be Notts County winning 8 0 against Swindon, which seems unlikely. Uh, Macclesfield at home to Cambridge. Are you confident that they will secure the point that they need to send Seoul into the sunset this summer uh, ahead of uh, uh, maybe, a, maybe a bloody promotion push for the big guy next season? I reckon Seoul will have a lovely summer somewhere with a nice sunset, I'd have thought. Probably his ni- name literally means sun. Probably nicer than most League Two managers, I'd have thought, mm. on his holidays, you'd guess. Um, I think it's very hard to, uh, at that level at the moment, um, to be too confident about Maxfield getting a result. You, you'd, ex- you'd think, you'd expect them to, um, but at the same time, we know that uh, funny things can happen down there. And, and Notts County, as we've seen very, very few times this season, do have the ability to turn it on. Um, and I think, you know, player for player, not one, one team is better than the other, and they're the ones who are likely to go down. So I'm not going to sit here and say that I think that it's going to be an easy, easy opening day and, and Macclesfield fans will be able to sit comfortably for the day they are obviously the team who, who are the more likely to stay up. Um, but it could be another twist there. I'd like to go on a summer holiday with Gabriele Cioffi, personally. Uh, he's from Florence in Italy, which is a, a, a fantastic part of the world. And a city, it is lovely, to be fair. A city that everyone should see at some point. Um, mm. So maybe me and Gabriele could... That's where the next one can be, mate. Next, next playoffs, we'll go out and watch it in a bar in Florence. We could drink some espressi. Uh, which is the plural of espresso, of course. Uh, we could walk around Florence, look at, at art galleries, which you know I like, uh, and then maybe head into the Tuscan Hills uh, for a glass of wine or two and uh, enjoy each other's company and talk about this rather bizarre second half of the season that Crawley have had. A- anyway, that's us done for this week. We'll be back on Thursday with a betting show previewing some of the games on final weekend from a betting perspective. Um, there was some quite big news that some of you may have already noted after last week's betting show as we head into the final weekend of the regular season. Thank you so much for listening as always, guys. Uh, really appreciate your support. And if you have enjoyed this, if you could give it a share, if you can make sure you're subscribed, uh, then we can all move on together in our quest for very good EFL chat. <laughs>